0: Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My
1: name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez-McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth-generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree
0: on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury we do share a mutual passion for crime solving and we both grew up in cambridge steps away
1: from harvard university on ivy league murders we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions we look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away Murder.
0: so we're out in california
1: we are here for the wedding of our good friend and ivy league Murders partner zach zappa
0: yeah so we're out in la and it's really been super fun i had so much fun last night yeah we had a great time we were at the historic roosevelt hotel that's right that's right by the poolside which is a
1: david hockney
0: pool i was so like the art geek in me was like david hockney painted that pool
1: well actually even cooler is marilyn monroe's personal mirror is inside in the lobby <laughs> we
0: seemingly have a very glamorous life laura seemingly seemingly, yeah, seemingly. <laughs> so we just wanted to remind our listeners that we do have a patreon we're trying to crank out as much material as we can. This is a continuation of our Combat Zone series, which we're so excited about. This is a little piece of Boston history that not a lot of people know about. Some people know about it in Boston, but it's like the seedy underbelly boston yeah
1: i think it depends on on your age whether or not you know about it but i think it's something that we don't a part of boston we we don't want to be forgotten
0: yeah no absolutely and it is uh i don't know i just you know i like sleaze so combat zone yeah. is good with me you know what yeah. I mean?
1: we saw a lot of sleaze on hollywood boulevard last night oh good god did we <laughs> ever maybe a little too much a too much but um back to the combat zone
0: In looking at the combat zone, we have found three Ivy League murders that are connected to the zone in some way. And really, one of our overarching themes is that what we see in the combat zone is a lot of violence, murder, pimps and prostitutes and random street violence, but... The only time that that violence ever really got
1: headlines
0: was when the Ivy League, when town and gown would kind of clash.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the crime rates in Boston and nationwide were very high between 1970 and the 90s. And they, in Boston, you know, assault, uh, all kinds, you know, theft, everything was very, very high. And in Boston, this was extremely high in the combat zone and people kind of ignored it. Because it was in this little small area that they could kind of just pretend wasn't there until we have this crossover of somebody maybe this, our community deems a little bit more important.
0: Exactly. So in this 1982 case, which centered in the combat zone, a prostitute was murdered by an Ivy League professor. So how did these two people from seemingly different walks of life become entangled? in each other's lives. This was a huge case in Boston, by the way. What we're trying to kind of focus on
1: is that there was all kinds of random violence. There in, was. In the in, com- combat, so until- Until something like this happened, and there were so many women, you know, we know a lot about the victim here, but there were so many nameless victims that didn't get the headlines and the attention because there was no Ivy League person involved.
0: Part of what we want to do as well with this is talk about some of these cases too, because I do think I don't want to do with Ivy League murders is, oh yes, isn't this terrible that only these cases got attention and then not give those other cases attention. right? You know, And I actually have a very personal story with one of those cases, which I want to talk about because it's part of my, it's where my PI work and my
1: podcasting has kind of intersected. I'll talk about that case a little bit later on in this, Interesting. In this series. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Right, and I think we talk about this case to highlight the fact that there were so many other victims and we're talking about one here. You know, you know, truthfully too, the divide mm-hmm. this case is often touted as like
0: the professor and the prostitute, but actually the divide between them was not as wide as was portrayed in the media at the time. So born in the early 1940s, William Douglas actually came from very humble circumstances. His mother was a maid from Germany and his father was a plumber. It's interesting, I just made the connection that if he was born in the early 40s, his mother probably escaped from Germany Mm -hmm. or the Nazis were obviously very much in force at that time in Germany. So his father died in a construction accident. And with it, Williams' hopes of graduate school died as well. Douglas, as an only child, went to a state school, but he was really smart. He was very precocious, very scientifically oriented. Then he went to a state school, but then he worked his way into Yale and Brown because of his scientific acumen.
1: So by the time he met Robin Benedict in 1982... Douglas had a family of three, a comfortable suburban home in Sharon, Mass, and a very high-profile, well-funded job at Tufts University. And let's
0: talk about Robin Benedict. She was an interesting person in her own right.
1: She really was. I think we both read several books about her, and I still don't really feel that I have a good read on who Robin was.
0: And again, the divide is not that far between them because she, I think sometimes the mythos behind prostitutes is
1: that they come from these broken homes and talk about a wonderful woman that we talked to, NJ. And, and I think that there's also the same stereotype with the Ivy League, that everyone in the Ivy League comes from privilege and means. And, and right. And we saw in Popolo that
0: was not, in he many was, cases, he was pretty working class Italian from the North End
1: and... Absolutely, yeah, I'm solidly middle right, class. Right? Uh, you know, I mean, many, many cases, and, and we know many people like that who are working class and wind up in the Ivy League. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's on both sides. You see those. I mean, from my accessories, you would think that
0: I had a lot of
1: money, and you too. But you, that's you not do great. have great accessories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, just had to throw that in there because it's a little narcissism. Yeah. Anyway, so Robin Benedict was 20 when she met william douglas so she was working as a prostitute in the combat zone and really unlike some of the other sex workers in the zone robin she didn't come from a broken home she wasn't an orphan her parents were a culturally mixed couple her father john benedict was a handsome man from trinidad and he loved his daughter fiercely he and robin had like the real like i think she was a total daddy's girl John was an ambitious immigrant who worked for Raytheon, and her mother, Shirley, was this blonde bombshell from Lawrence. As a couple, they kind of almost remind me of, like, Ricky and Lucy, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know. So Robin's mixed heritage really gave her beauty kind of an exotic edge, and she was not only beautiful, but she was smart and ambitious and confident. So the Benedicts were a very tight-knit family, and they lived in the working-class suburb of Methuen. I mean, Methuen... Not the most exciting place in the world. And there's not much going on there. And the eternally restless
1: Robin couldn't wait to fly the nest. And Terry, you know, this surprised me when we interviewed and I encourage our listeners to listen to our, our interview with NJ, who is a former prostitute from the combat zone, because I really had that impression that everybody who's a prostitute comes from a broken home and or is a drug addict and all of these preconceived notions and it really helped me understand robin to talk to nj to see that you can come from a normal family you can go to college all these things and so wind up a prostitute that's right yeah. and and she's really intelligent and really oh intelligent ex- exactly and, yeah. none of the things that i kind of stereotypically thought and she's a great sense of humor we actually call nj our heels on the ground right.
0: instead of the boots on the ground So Robin's desire for glitz and glamour materialized one night when she met and started to date Ray Costick. So Ray was an inside linebacker for the New England Patriots and I really look at football players Especially NFL players As like There are modern day
1: gladiators They yeah. really are Patriots weren't very good in the 80s For all the <laughs> That's, All the modern oh, day oh. They oh. were terrible Yes Today everyone thinks You know Patriot Nation They were terrible back then But They really are The modern day gladiators And there's something Almost superheroish About them
0: Yeah And Cost So Ray Caustic He was this handsome guy Patriot player And so He and Ron Meet and caustic. It's a typical thing where he like went to like Mississippi State and he's a southern guy, comes up to New England. And as we covered in one of our episodes, too, a lot of racial divide in Boston. Boston was very you had the whole busing
1: riots. Very at divisive that point. at this divisive. time. I yeah. mean, the '80s, very almost segregated city. You so just wouldn't go to certain parts of the city if you were black. You wouldn't go to Charlestown. You wouldn't go to the North End. So I think Caustic felt very kind of out of his element in Boston. And when he met Robin, he felt comfortable. And he felt comfortable around her and her friends. He felt more at home. Yeah, than he did around perhaps the other players or and robin was
0: really gorgeous and she She really was was. into caustic man she
1: really fell in love with him i think he fell in love with her too but you disagreed with me before we started i think he may have loved her but she really like waited on him but i think that If he was that in love with her, he would have married her. I think he kept her at bay somewhat. I mean, she would go up to his apartment and clean his whole apartment and then have sex with him. And then he would make her sleep on the couch. Doesn't sound like true love to me. Really? Yeah. I I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I think he cared about her a great deal. And I think he might have even loved her. But I I think that it was kind of all on his terms.
0: But Caustic had a complicated situation because he had a girlfriend in the South. He had a child with this girlfriend i'm sure so he's got a baby back home i think it was just a little bit complicated the other weird thing is that so robin kind of moved into his fancy apartment in quincy which is suburb kind of a little burb of boston and like we were saying i think she loved the
1: glam lifestyle you think about them going to games and probably buying her stuff oh she's sitting with the wives and girlfriends yeah i mean it's an exciting lifestyle yeah and they partied and it's early 80s, and I'm sure there was like massive amounts of cocaine. Oh, there. yeah. No, he he liked cocaine. She liked cocaine. I think this is when she first gets introduced to cocaine is through him.
0: I found this very interesting in the book Missing Beauty. The author talks about the fact that even though Robin's father was from Trinidad himself, I think he was Hispanic origin and, you know, a man of color, but he did not want Robin to date black guys and caustic. Was black. And so it's this kind of interesting. And you had mentioned too, you were saying about how even the sort of Ricky Lucy thing growing up in in Methuen in the 80s, you were saying
1: that might have been difficult for the Benedicts because they were sort of culturally mixed. Yeah. I mean, Sarah and I are from Cambridge where it was not uncommon to see mixed race families even in the 80s. But that's because that's where people moved because it was acceptable because it wasn't acceptable in the suburbs. So I'm sure that created a challenge for her and dating interracially at that time would have been you know people would have said things to you people would have yelled out that would have been a reality and you would have been limited on sad to say on where you could have gone yeah but i find it interesting that that her father also maybe had a similar sort of prejudice in a way well i think he may have wanted to protect her i think he may have wanted to protect her from the hatefulness of others and that perhaps was was what he was trying to do well i actually read a bit
0: more into it he was a very upwardly mobile person and i think he probably felt like i don't know i think it's i think it's a complicated issue in other words at that time he clearly had his own issues with the racial thing as well so we'll leave it alone we weren't there So she's hanging out with Caustic and going to these parties. And through these parties, Robin met a man named Clarence Rogers, or J.R., as he was known. He would figure in her life a bit later on. So Robin was crazy about Caustic, and she wanted to marry him. But he felt an obligation to his girlfriend and child back in Mississippi. So when he left for the South and broke up with Robin she really kind of devolved. I think she devolved more into drugs and she started to see J.R., who was also a pimp, and, and he was known to be a pimp who
1: worked in the combat zone. Right, and this is where it all kind of goes downhill for Robin after yeah. this point. And she's really into the lifestyle. I think N.J.
0: was saying that you are making incredible amounts of money
1: as a working prostitute or, you know... Right, if you're not giving her. it all to a pimp.
0: Yes, that's true. We'll just cut back to Caustic for a second. So tragically, Caustic's young son died in a fire and he broke up with his, he was fighting with this girl in the South and he broke up with her. And I think he really had misgivings about his breakup. See, I think he really did love her. He missed her a lot. But when he inquired about Robin, the word on the street was that she was working in the combat zone and making about a thousand bucks a night. This was eighty-two, and so that's like three thousand a night. And she was really living the lifestyle she had always coveted. Got furs, nice clothes, cocaine. I picture her going to filings and like <laughs> you know, perusing the perfume counters back in the eighties. I think him breaking up with her was a real crucial thing that happened. So, Laura, let's take a minute and just describe Bill Douglas, okay? All was an awkward man. He and his wife, Nancy, had long since stopped having sex. Nancy was working nights, so the Douglases barely saw each other. They were living in the burbs. Douglas was essentially married to his research job. His whole identity and sense of self came from his position. Douglas was a renowned cellular biologist at Tufts Medical School. He had garnered respect from his colleagues, and he was given generous grants to conduct his research. Hmm. Let's do a visual on Bill Douglas. William Douglas was a man large in girth and height, but despite that, he had tiny hands and feet. I think that says it all, Sarah. uh, You made a very off-color comment before we started recording, and we'll just uh, let the listeners' imaginations run wild with that. A balding pate, and he was bespeckled. And you really had the archetypal professor. Tufts Medical School was a stone's throw away from the combat zone. After long, exhausting days, Douglas would wander into the zone and occasionally had sex with prostitutes. One night, he went to Good Time Charlie's, and this was Robin Benedict's haunt.
1: Are you looking for some fun? The toned and beautiful Benedict placing her hand on Douglas's thigh. A typical invite from a pro. They went back to her flat on Marlborough Street and had sex. Benedict's rate was $50 for a half an hour, about 150 these days, and Douglas was hooked.
0: Smart and beautiful Benedict gave the lonely professor the girlfriend experience. So the girlfriend experience is when a prostitute basically pretends to be a girlfriend fill in the blanks and i gotta say in reading this i've given my boyfriend the girlfriend experience for
1: eight years now and i haven't seen a dime did you just get a condo in Miami? Sarah? (laughs) don't let him listen to this
0: (laughs) yeah yeah we did which in watching the celtics game laura i'm really divided now i want to vote you know boston celtics i'm a boston girl you know i want to i want to be there for the celtics but you know i'm also starting to tend towards miami a little bit so we'll see in this fifth game how it all turns out i you think know? that
1: shows extreme weakness of characters so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that i'd be willing to switch teams yeah hey listen when brady went to the buccaneers i was all about the buccaneers i'm sorry it's I've all ne- about brady i've for never me. wavered
1: I-, I lived in new york city for 13 years i never allowed another shirt to come into my home wow for my daughter yeah never
0: you just are, you're made of different moral fiber than yeah. i am apparently yeah. Boston Fiverr. <laughs> <laughs> so Benedict loved money, furs, and jewels, and cocaine, and Douglas loved her. Like that weird obsessive love where you just, you make an image of somebody that is not reality at all. He was just like living in a fantasy land. About well, I think her. she was
1: kind of like that girl that he could never have. And, yes. And then all of a sudden he had her. I mean, he was paying for her. Yeah, exactly. But in his fantasy life, He finally had that girl. You're right. Really, the problem
0: was that he wanted to spend all of his time with Benedict. But in today's rates, that's like
1: four fifty an hour, right? And I, but I think he was kind of deluding himself and kind of ignoring the money and pretending they were in a relationship. Yes, as he lost control of the finances. Absolutely. And so Robin became a
0: very expensive addiction for Douglas. What did we read about her moving? Like he helped her.
1: He helped her move, and then she charged him for it.
0: Oh, man, I'm telling you. Like, so he helped her move out of her Marlborough Street apartment to another place, I think, on Com
1: right. or something like that.
0: And she charged him for the time that he helped her move. Uh, and he And he paid her.
1: Pathetic. Wow. I just moved. I know. I had to pay people. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> but for Douglas, much like
0: Lolita's Humbert Humbert, he was in love with the image that he had created for Benedict. Behind his back, Benedict would titter to her friends about this cash cow, the pathetic old flabby professor.
1: Douglas was obsessed with Benedict, but Benedict was living with her boyfriend, who was also... A pimp. A pimp. We don't really know the relationship, whether he was her pimp, his name was J.R., but they had a serious relationship. They bought a house together... And it seemed to be more of a relationship of equals, not a relationship of a pimp and a prostitute. That, yeah, you're absolutely um, right. It's not clear that she was giving him her money, is my point.
0: that Well, she, no, that's true. And the, the house that they bought together in Malden was money that she had gotten from Douglas. Right. But obsession writes its own logic, and Douglas wanted to spend time with Benedict. But that time was racking up. Douglas started pilfering the grant money that had been given to Tufts. And actually, he even added Robin Benedict and
1: another prostitute to the payroll. Okay, this is one of the craziest things, is that he had her on a prostitute as an assistant at Tufts Medical.
0: Exactly. Getting paychecks. Exactly. And then they found, like, one of the details of this is when they started to get suspicious and they were looking through the accounts, Mm -hmm. they found this, like, huge expenditure of condoms and basically he was like giving the condoms to robin to sell to her prostitute friends it was
1: like the loopiest thing i've ever heard of right and i think douglas made a decent salary but you add a family he had a house in the suburbs he had children yes all of these things and he could not afford to support robin as well well he had already gone through all of his personal finances too And people at
0: Tufts started noticing differences with William Douglas. He also started to do drugs with Benedict. And this was just another expensive habit for him. And so the normally subdued professor was really acting erratically. He was not showing up for student appointments. But ever in denial, Douglas hadn't wanted to know about Robin's other clients, least of all her boyfriend, J.R. With the money Douglas had given her, Robin put a $25,000 down payment on a house for her and Jr. in Malden, like we had said. And Malden was kind of like a respectable, lower-middle-class suburb. It's about six miles north of Boston. By this time, Douglas was way in hot water with Tufts for stealing money to pay for his Robin habit. And indeed, Tufts was launching a full-scale investigation into Douglas's
1: fraud. Like all addictions, Benedict offered Douglas diminishing returns, and Douglas was out of money and had lost his supply. He had stolen $67,000 worth of grants from Tufts. And they were in the process of investigating him. So this was just a matter of time.
0: Yeah. And I think this is 67000 in 1982 money. So you're like times that by three. That's a chunk of change. Yeah, we're talking that
1: about $200,000 basically yeah. in today's money.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, but Douglas was still addicted to Robin, although she was actively avoiding him at this point. If She's actively avoiding him. He's basically stalking her. He's following her to this spa, quote unquote gentleman spa that she's working at. He's calling the police on her. He's acting like a crazy obsessed lover, which he was. Although she was actively avoiding him at this point. He convinced Robin to go to a conference with him in New York State. He promised to pay her a thousand dollars a day. And I see this conference as such a sad little thing for him. I think he's like he loves having this like beautiful girl on his arm at this conference and this oh. is the last hurrah. And the conference was 3 days, but when they got back to Massachusetts, Douglas didn't have the money. Robin is infuriated. Okay, and she told him that he owed her interest and the amount jumped to 5000 not 3000. So, Benedict was no longer the idealized illusion Douglas had fallen for. She threatened to come to Sharon and make a scene in front of his family unless he gave her the money. There's this also this story where like Douglas has like heart palpitations on the way back from New York. He goes into the hospital. Robin's all pissed off about the money she sticks like her long fingernail in his ear and like grinds it around. It's like she's pissed and she wants her money back basically. But anyway, so she does go down to Sharon. She creates a
1: scene in his neighborhood. I find this very bizarre that she did this. Okay. One night Robin does go down to Sharon and makes a scene. And Nancy, Douglas's wife, was not home at the time, but Nancy was aware of Robin at she, this time. She
0: was aware of Robin because in that same hospital room, Robin hangs around until Nancy comes. And that's how Nancy finds out specifically about
1: Robin. I kind of think Nancy and Douglas, like they just kind of have one of those coexistence. She probably knew what he was doing, which just kept her mouth shut relationships. Yep. The Sharon police were called to the house and both Douglas and Benedict were chastised by the police for disturbing the peace. I find this very odd. I I assume Robin just figured if she made a big scene, he'd pay her off to kind of keep things quiet and save his reputation.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think he ended up like paying her like a thousand out of that five thousand or something like that as a result of that all of a sudden, it's known by the neighbors. I mean, I think the neighbors called the police. It's this very sort of volatile scene in the quiet
1: burbs of Sharon. Well, I think she was hoping that by doing this, it would, would push him to just kind of pay her off to get away, but what she didn't realize was he didn't have the money, and she's just pushing him further into desperation.
0: And meanwhile, you have to understand, I think at this point, he's either been fired by Tufts, or things are really going downhill for for douglas he's lost his position he's lost his credibility
1: all created by him you know there's an active investigation at this point so i think he knows it's only a matter of time exactly on march 5th 1983
0: benedict dressed in a tan stylish corduroy jacket she kissed jr and told him she was going to meet a high-end client which she did. Actually, she met this guy in Boston who was like another prospect, essentially another Douglas for her Mm -hmm. in Boston. And then she was going to go get her money from Douglas. Jr. did not want her to go see Douglas. He had some intuition about this. But ever the rebel, Robin did not heed his warnings. She met up with this other client in downtown Boston, He was really a sort of a classy guy with deep pockets. And then Robin headed to Sharon to meet Bill Douglas. And no one would ever see her again. Murder, murder, murder.